0: hi mining community welcome back to another episode of the dig deep the mining podcast and today's guest is andrew Andrew sport global mining and metals leader at deloitte um andrew's a returning guest and he's going to be talking about a recent report they released around the 2030 decarbonization challenge the part of the future of energy so let's get straight into this and welcome andrew how you doing andrew I'm doing well, and thank you for having me back on the show. No, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this. Um, I wonder if you can give us a, a brief introduction about yourself. This is, uh, I believe, your third time on the on the podcast, so if anyone wants to know a little bit more about you, they can go back to the previous episodes. But if you can give us a very brief um, overview of yourself and an overview of the report, um, and then I've got some questions that I want to ask you uh, around this uh, uh, this actual report.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, so look, uh, yeah, Andrew Swartz. I lead Deloitte's global mining and metals uh, practice. Um, it is a practice of around two and a half thousand people um, uh, globally, and um, I've spent pretty much my my whole career in mining. Uh, originally from South Africa, and now based in Canada, and had the privilege and pleasure of working in many countries around the world, including Russia, Switzerland, and uh, many parts of South America.
0: And yes, I just wonder if you can, um, obviously you recently just released uh, this uh, report, which is the decarbonisation challenge. Just wondering if you can give us a brief overview of the report and then I've got some questions to sort of dig deeper into that.
1: Yeah, so look, um, energy... For for us has increasingly become one of the I guess defining portions of conversations with mining with mining industry Um, and it's certainly something which we've written a lot about over the last sort of couple of years, Um, and I think. It's, it's clearly uh, an incredibly important issue for uh, broader society uh, and investors more broadly. And so for, for mining companies in particular, but this report that we wrote actually covers broader energy resources and industrials. So whether or not that's mining, oil and gas, industrial, um, power and utilities type companies as well, um, you know, this this issue of, of decarbonization is both a complex one. Um, it's also one where there's also a fair amount of uncertainty. And so the intent about, around the report was to take a 15 year view on energy and saying, you know, can we use scenarios to think about different ways in which this might play out? And therefore, what might be the implications and opportunities for different companies within the energy resource and industrial sector? Um, and so that, in a nutshell, is the report. And we've you know, gone further and done a specific mining and metals overlay onto that as well. Um, and I think makes for a great read, but also is, is really um, uh, designed to help companies think about uh, this landscape strategically, and what they need to be doing from their own companies' uh, perspectives and points of view.
0: Yeah. So, what are the top drivers? Are uh, top drivers of decarbonisation?
1: Okay. Well, so. When we think about um, drivers, again, as I said, it's a complex issue. You sort of have to unpack this, right? So let's start, first of all, with sort of society's demands. And here we're thinking both about customers and you're thinking about, you know, employees. And so, you know, I think in the last year and a half to two years, we've certainly seen a, uh, a big increase in climate change prot- uh, protests, Um, far more self-awareness on the part of consumers um, and sort of end companies around this issue of decarbonization and what the impact various commodities, minerals, or end products are actually having um, on on the environment. So this is a broader societal trend, which I think is well-established and uh, and kind of well-known. The second is... uh, you know this is cascaded now obviously into the realm of of public policy uh, clearly some portions of the world which have really embraced this, you know more than others but um uh, i think at the end of the day what you are seeing is both um governments um as as well as you know different now companies committing to to uh, decarbonization targets i mean you know take for example china more broadly has has put in place um, targets to actually, you know, drive um, towards decarbonization in in the next couple of decades. Um, There's probably more than 40 governments around the world which have actually put a price on carbon um, and are then flowing that through in terms of taxes, in terms of cap and trade programs and things like that. And then there's the investor pressure. Right. So one of our top trends in mining this year was um, a trend which we call the rise of the social investor. And this is really about how investors are now putting the pressure on mining companies um, through this lens of ESG, environmental, sustainability, and governance type principles. Um, And then finally, what I would say is you've you've got these drivers of, as I said, you know, customers and and end markets, of, of governments, of Um, of investors but most importantly for mining companies there's also an economic lens to this so this is not you know some altruistic um, type purpose that's out there the end of the day energy accounts for something like 25 to 30 percent of direct operating costs of of a mine I mean these are energy intensive users Um, and for mining companies while they're also energy intensive users Many minerals actually hold the keys to a lower carbon future in the form of battery minerals and and things like that. And so this is a real issue for mining companies. Um, If you can help, you know, uh, figure out your carbon footprint, figure out your energy usage, that actually drives to real savings on the bottom line. And then depending on your portfolio, it actually holds a bunch of really interesting opportunities for mining companies as well to be part of and capitalise um, uh, on this broader societal trend. And so highly relevant to, to the industry and drivers coming from all, uh, all sides.
0: So what does this mean to sort of companies within the energy and resources sector? Well, first of all, I think it's important to
1: um, to recognize that energy resource and industrials companies, as I said before, you know, that covers mining oil and gas um, industrials power and utilities, um, those companies probably account for probably more than 90% of um, the sort of the CO2 that's actually being uh, emitted, and you know, we did a study last year um, by uh, Monitor Deloitte in, in Australia, where we sort of looked at about 112 companies around the world, and sort of came to that particular conclusion. Um, what I'd also say though is that um, for for many mining companies, as a result of the pressure that they receive from investors, from end consumers, and you know from from players within their supply chains. Um, are actually committing to very real um, emissions targets right um, o- over this next uh, you know, decade or, or, or more. Um, so I think that trend is kind of very well established. Um, in a recent survey that we did as well, we found that something like 89% of, of energy and, and resource executives um, had actually said they have put some plan in place. And so we are seeing this getting traction uh, with, within the industry. But I think you know the the important thing here is for these companies to actually be on 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 the front foot, right? And so, you know, and not wait for government to impose particular restrictions or impose carbon taxes and those kinds of things. But you know, the world is changing, and um, these trends are really important. And so, how do you get on the front foot of these things and actually put in the plans which are going to help you um, achieve these particular targets?
0: And obviously, you just mentioned the government. How are the governments um, helping some of these uh, or helping the sector, would you say, um, and how are they driving initiatives and and obviously working with the energy and resources sector or companies within, within the sector?
1: So, Look, in different parts of the world, it's it's played out in 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 different ways, right? So certainly, if I if I if I look at some jurisdictions, there's been a lot of collaboration with government, a lot of public forums, working through industry associations to think through what the implications for for the sector um, might be, and I think that kind of dialogue is um, uh, is really important, particularly at a time like now, um, as uh, as governments are thinking about, well, how do they drive economic growth as a result of this massive shock to the system of, uh, of COVID? Mm-hmm. And so you have to do this very much in dialogue with industry to actually you know, think through the implications of this. What I'd also say, though, is that um, as one thinks through this economic growth, you've also got to take a longer-term lens and say, if, if we believe this is a longer-term trend, and that's probably not much of an uncertainty. The uncertainty, I think, is how quickly does this actually take place and what sort of time frame, and um, how might this play out in different part, part, you know, parts of the world? But given that, um, it comes back to my earlier point, which is, gee, there's also a real opportunity here. There's a real opportunity for mining companies in particular to be part of this of, of this energy transition. And so, again, in different parts of the world, you are seeing government incentives um, in in place to really begin to drive so-called critical minerals initiatives. I mean, we saw the U.S. government, along with about nine other partners around the world or governments around the world, sort of signed on to... um, the sort of critical minerals initiative which is really um, meant to to drive some level of of security should i say uh, around some of these particular commodities now you know without getting into sort of global geopolitics here you know there are there, there is some geopolitical axes that are sort of playing playing out here you know china has made some very strong moves over the last couple of years into that particular space own a significant amount of the resources um, in critical minerals and rare earth metals, those kinds of areas. And so um, many other countries are, I guess, recognizing this and also beginning to sort of play catch up um, to this. And so um, I think those are also some of the the government moves that you, that you are seeing in different parts of the world.
0: And how are companies approaching decarbonization? Well, so a lot
1: of this comes down to what you can actually, um, you know, control, and what is within, let's say, the ambit of, uh, of 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 your control. So, I think the first thing to kind of recognize is you get these different scope emissions, right? So you'd get, you know, scope one emissions, which are really the direct emissions, which are coming from your sources. You've got scope two emissions, which are sort of indirect. And these are really coming from the generation of the energy that you that you actually purchase. Um, and typically in scope one, scope two emissions, a lot of these are, you know, within the control of, uh, of companies, but it requires you to be quite, purposeful in, A, figuring out, well, where are the big, you know, energy sinks and what are those kind of impacts, um, and then going through the, the the diligence of saying, well, gee, are there, you know, are there ways for me to switch some of those particular sources? Are there ways for me to use technology um, against scope one and scope two emissions um, for me to, you know, lower my, my, uh, my footprint? Um, When you get to scope three emissions, however, and these are so called, you know, indirect emissions, which are all the way along the value chain, both upstream and downstream, and these are, you know, harder to control, um, because they're outside of the gates of of these particular mining companies and so it really gets to how are your products actually being utilized um uh, you know down the value chain and so i think this is the area which becomes probably a lot more tricky um it's certainly one where you begin to get into areas of the circular economy it probably requires a broader group of stakeholders together with government to actually begin to kind of think through through this particular problem but at the end of the day, I think right now, a lot of the focus is around scope one, scope two, putting in those particular plans, getting management commitment and operational commitment to drive those particular plans um, and, um, and executing on that.
0: Yeah. Um, obviously, this report covers a number of different industries. How are mining uh, companies approaching uh, decarbonization and how would you fare them against other industries that this report has sort of covered and is there is there any is there anything that they're probably not doing that they should be doing that other industries are
1: okay wow well, a lot in there's there a few <laughs> questions there. <laughs> but, uh, how long have i got <laughs> <laughs> okay uh look let, let me try and be sort of succinct on this one so yeah. look, how are they um approaching this so i think one is there are there's a lot of uncertainty around how this plays out in different portions in different you know areas of the world now as you well know for a lot of mining companies you're dealing with multinational entities who have got um, you know operations in a variety of different countries around the world and right now there isn't a sort of a uniform view particularly when it comes to things like carbon taxes or particular abatement measures um, in in those particular regions around the world um, and so it really becomes a patchwork of different kind of legislation so I'd say the general approach we've seen with many mining companies is is they have um, they've utilized scenarios to say hey how could this actually play out but they've also taken a view of well let's just Let's assume um, that we are probably heading towards the most stringent of um, of those kind of regulatory environments, and so let's actually figure out what are what is the most stringent common denominator and apply that across our portfolio, right? And. And that gets you then into the kinds of analysis which said, well, if this was applied in this particular region, what would the implications for us actually be? And so I think companies are leveraging these kinds of tools um, to to apply these uh, to to, to their portfolios, which then informs the kinds of actions that they are are likely to take um, uh, around the world. Um, In terms of what different sectors are are, are actually doing differently. I mean, a lot of this comes down to, first and foremost, the portfolio that you're actually sitting with. So in some ways, you know, the oil and gas sector is probably um, a lot harder hit because you are dealing with a portfolio which by just by its nature is pretty carbon intensive, right? When you look at mining companies, I mean, it obviously affects let's say coal mining companies in particular, thermal coal producers probably a a lot more just in terms of the portfolio. Um, And I think that would be probably the big distinction maybe between oil and gas versus mining um, is the nature of the portfolio. And so for let's say non-thermal coal producers, Um, It's less about the commodity, but it's probably more about the energy that's being used to extract that that commodity. Um, So so the impact becomes different. Um, What I would say is I'd say from what we see anyway, certainly many of the major mining companies, the big multinationals, um, are probably the most proactive in this particular area um they're also dealing with very sophisticated investor bases um and so the kinds of pressure that you would get from some of the major um uh, you know capital investors around the world um they're applying pretty stringent len- lenses and so it's no surprise that you see some of the big n- multinational firms actually really getting getting out um uh, uh, ahead of these particular areas um so yeah i mean it's a It's a complex issue. It's a real mixed bag, to to be honest with you. And and I think over the next year to two years, I think you are going to see probably more clarity around a patchwork of this legislation, you're probably going to see investors uh, applying probably more similar kind of lens to the to, to these particular firms, um, and you're going to see broader adoption, I guess, right across the spectrum and hopefully not just the major mining companies coming out with this, but also a lot of the smaller the midsize um, companies actively thinking about these plans, um, you know, I think, I, I hope that we see a resurgence and a revival in a lot of capital projects. And clearly, when those new capital projects are are being put in place, that's the ideal time to begin thinking about the layout of those particular mines. You know, um, when you're in the early stages of developing those mines, you have far more degrees of freedom in terms of the kinds of technology that you put in, how you might lay out the mine to drive a lower carbon footprint and those kinds of things.
0: Um, Obviously, you mentioned it is complex. So I wonder, that's probably the reason why it is a 10 year challenge. Uh, because obviously the the complexity of and the nature of everything that's involved in uh, obviously as we're talking about mining, um, there obviously is a lot of challenges that have to be overcome, and I, I take it, it it is the reason why it's going to be a ten year plan. Yeah. So so look, I mean, let's let's
1: disaggregate that a little bit. So you know, one is um, I think for. For um, for many mining companies, um, uh, just by virtue of the resource base, right? Um, you are having to put down longer term, um, you know, trends or longer term plans in place. It is also capital intensive, mm-hmm. and, and so you know, to make some of these switches. Does require capital expenditure, right? And so you really have to go through the the due diligence and putting those economic cases uh, together. So I guess almost by definition, then it is a it's a longer term journey that many mining companies are having to go through. In our report, we did take a fifteen year view or a fifteen year lens onto this, but the reason for that is really around the the uncertainty about how this landscape could actually play out right so there are a lot of uncertainties associated with energy uh, with the energy transition these could be uh, uncertainties from a social perspective and so how are you going to see the continuing evolution of customer uh, demands You know, there could be technology uncertainties around, you know, the extent to which some of these technologies, particularly things like battery storage are actually going to evolve or carbon capture those kinds of areas. Um, I mean, there are going to be ongoing environmental uncertainties, particularly around um, you know policy uh, policy making. There's going to be economic uncertainty. So, how deep and how extensive is this COVID shock that we're actually you know undergoing right now, or, or broader geopolitics, uh, which is also likely to to have an impact. However, when we wrote the report, we really brought it down to two. Um, fundamental uncertainties um, that we see over a 15-year time period. So one is is what I might call the societal response to climate change, right? And so when when you think about that, a lot of the uncertainties there um, is really around the extent to which society sort of continues to shape this and put pressure on governments and companies to drive this particular change um you know you go back only several years ago and you will see how it's evolved in different countries um and so do you see a ongoing pressure on the part of society and end consumers around this or do you see um something where actually this economic shock that we are currently undergoing actually dominates and, and and consumers are saying, well, gee, you know, I'm prepared to put climate a little bit on the back seat because what I'm really prioritizing right now is, you know, my own job, the economy and those kinds of areas. And so how does that actually play out in the next kind of 15 years? And then the second big uncertainty was around global dynamics. And this at, at the heart of it is really The extent to which you see real global collaboration around some of these issues, Um, do you see countries, regions around the world, um, you know, coming together to drive policy to put these kinds of plans in place, and so that you don't end up with this myriad of, you know, patchwork legislation. You know, or do you see a more isolated, a more fragmented world going forward? And you know, you just need to look at some of the trade tensions um, around the world, whether or not it's in you know North America versus China right now, which has been playing out, or in your own backyard uh, around kind of Brexit. And so, do you yes. see a do you see a more fragmented world from that perspective? Which is then, if anything, likely to cause an enhancement of this patchwork of of legislation versus a, a narrowing and sort of more uniform view. So, I mean, these are two big global trends, the societal response and global dynamics. And if anything's likely to shape this landscape and drive a significant level of uncertainty in the next 15 years, it's likely to be these two trends, right? And so that's really what we try and tackle uh, within this particular report. We create these four scenarios and um, we, we actively recognize that the world could play out in four very divergent ways. And I think mining companies in particular need to go and live in those scenarios for a little bit, think through what might be the implications for them if the world actually plays out in
0: that way. Mm. Uh, what emissions are in a mining company's control yeah so again it comes back
1: down to largely the scope one scope two um, emissions and um, you know this gets you into saying all right 25 30 percent of direct operating costs are in um, uh, are energy related and so looking at how are you using things like diesel you know, how are you, um, you know, looking at your uh, your grid electricity that you are pulling out, and where are those? How is that electricity actually being sort of produced? Um, you know, you're looking at sort of core. Uh, very energy intensive processes be it around crushing or milling um, or haulage as an example and saying hey are there more efficient ways for me to be able to to drive those kinds of things so you know those are all the things which are really within uh, mining companies uh, you know control the areas where um In those sort of scope one scope two emissions, which are maybe even, you know, less in in companies, you know, control are going to be things like. Just you know, methane leakage in coal mining, as an example, is not a lot you can do about that. Or if you think about how cement is produced, um, you know, CO2 is just a natural byproduct of the sort of calcination process. And so, um, there are some things in your control. There are some things which are less in your control. But either way, you need to have a plan around it.
0: Yeah, um, got one more question. Uh, what can mining companies do to decarbonize? Uh, along its whole sort of value chain? Yeah, so
1: first of all, I think uh, number one, it's about really understanding your value chain, right? It's really about understanding who are the suppliers that you are entering into partnerships with. um, And what are the implications for those partnerships or in those partnerships on your, on your different emissions. So I think, you know, gone are the days where, you are, are literally just, you know, creating partnerships or signing particular contracts. But I think what this is forcing companies to sort of think about is to say, well, gee, I really need to understand the nature of those partnerships. I really need to understand how my products are being utilized, where they're actually being utilized. Um, and so, um, so I think that visibility on who buys, who sells the ores, whether or not you're talking about traders and consumers um, and how these are being used, that's kind of critical. What you are seeing is some mining companies now utilizing things like blockchain enabled, you know, tracing um, methods to be able to look at how minerals are being used upstream, downstream of, of, of the value chain um, and tracking these sort of from a from a low emissions uh, uh, p- p- you know, perspective. There are also a bunch of um, of various responsible, you know, resourcing groups, you know, like RCS Global as an example. Um, I mean, these are cross-industry collaborative efforts, um, which are, are are really looking at um, the uh, at the supply and the traceability of some of these particular minerals and, and how they're actually being sort of used, and that's increasingly becoming important, particularly in the area of critical minerals for downstream, um, you know, manufacturers, right, and so. Uh, you know, you recently saw um, saw some of the battery makers, for example, now actively striking deals with some of the mining companies um, in 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 those areas, right? Because they're really trying to find um, uh, or create traceability, but they're also trying to um, uh, ensure that there is responsible. Um, responsible sourcing of those particular minerals and so all of these issues become quite nested you know with within each other.
0: Andrew really appreciate your time and uh, obviously providing uh, these details around uh, the decarbonisation challenge uh, that the mining industry is facing Um, if our audience wants to reach out to you um, and has some more questions around uh, your findings how can they go about doing that?
1: Sure. Um, so they happy to uh, email me on aswart at Deloitte.ca. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and uh, happy to take uh, uh, messages there as well. So yep. uh, thank you for having me on the show
0: yeah no worries and i'll put all these in uh, in the show notes as well your contact details i'll also put the report as well so um all, our audience gonna have a look at that so really appreciate your time um hope you enjoyed the episode um if you feel that anyone um or any colleagues within the industry that you know would benefit from listening uh to this uh, episode appreciate if you can pass this uh, uh pass this on to them so until next time happy mining